Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Before tuning into this week's episode, we wanted to flag that the conversation is centered around rape and sexual violence. If this content is distressing for you, we have provided links to appropriate services in the description. Welcome to Preach the Peach. I'm Sage. And I'm Alyssa. And we're the co-founders of Peach Pack an online community that is having pretty radical conversations about womanhood. We're bringing late night sleepover chats from behind closed doors straight to your ears. On this week's episode, we are talking to Chanel Contos. Chanel is taking social media by storm with her recent Teach Us Consent petition that is advocating for holistic sexuality education earlier in the school curriculum. She set up the Teach Us Consent website, which houses more than 6,200 testimonies of sexual assault, ranging from groping to traumatic instances of rape, and her petition has more than 41,000 signatures. She is also currently living in London, completing her Master's in Gender and Education at the University College of London. We had the wonderful opportunity to chat with her on this week's episode of Preach the Peach. We felt so connected to her, not only for the revolutionary work she is doing, but also because she's just like us, 23, 24-year-old girls trying to make an impact. We are so excited to share this conversation with you all. It's a pretty fucking cool one. Let's get into it. You're our first guest, official guest we've had on the podcast, which is really exciting. You know how some podcasts do the first like general, like random question to kind of get them all like tell us a random fact about yourself or something like that. We used to, on our blog, write, you know, our peach picks, I guess, weekly um, content that we were consuming, whether it be like a Netflix TV show or a book we had been loving. Um, so I guess we were then wanting to know, what is your peach pick this week? Um, so I've only, I've been very, very busy, um, <laughs> but um, I had like a flight the other day where I had like four hours where I didn't have anything to do work-wise. Um, and I started listening to um, a podcast called The Invisible Hand that's like gives a second like view on rhino poaching in South Africa. Um, and, yeah, so that's that would be my peach pick, I guess. Um, I can't talk too much to it yet, but it's uh, really interesting um, and, like, so well produced. Oh, love that. Amazing. Yeah. I, I was born in South Africa, actually. <laughs> oh, really? Wow, yeah. cool. My fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good fun fact. So the next question that we plan on asking all of our guests is um, 
Peach Pack and this podcast, Preach the Peach, is all about breaking taboos and like female stigmas and topics surrounding our bodies and sex and all of those fun things. Um, and so I guess we wanted to ask you, what is one taboo or stigma that you think has impacted you the most in your life? Oh my gosh, that's a hard one. I got to have to think about this. I want to give a good answer. I mean, because I'm also thinking of like the impact because there's things that definitely like I think of regularly, but in terms of the impact, I don't know how much. Um, I mean, I would almost say like, I guess in, it directly relates to rape culture, just like taboo around female sexuality in general. Um, and like, I don't know, I was, I was actually saying to my friend about this the other day, we're at like a party and we were talking about the fact that like, it's just kind of always been part of our lives to like, like we basically don't really remember not being able to make ourselves come yet. Like when we're like in relationships with like teen boys, it was just never part of the discourse to like ever think about the fact that like the girl might in a heterosexual relationship that the girl like might come in that situation. Um, and like, yeah, I, and she was saying that she never like had any problems with it. And like, she always felt like really like, oops, like very like sexually liberal and like, um, found it really easy to like orgasm from sex and things like that whereas I always felt like almost ashamed of it and like I feel like when I was young like I did like I like for so long would never um and it's not that like he wasn't like doing it like I was almost just like too shy to make it about me ever it's not like he was like being fully selfish or anything it was just like I was too scared to like put the attention on me at any point so weird because we literally did um an episode all about like the orgasm gap and that is word for word my experience with coming and like only exposing myself to you know the realm of female pleasure when I was 22 because I just had accepted that it wasn't a priority for me mm. in like past relationships. Um, yeah. And even yeah. like we spoke about the fact that there are some girls who are more liberated or, you know, who, who did orgasm from a younger age, but a lot of the time that was in secrecy. Like for me personally, mm. that I remember experiencing like my first orgasm in high school and it like, I stumbled across it. Um, like I didn't really know how to please myself. I just kind of like it happened from a workout. <laughs> um, and it's just crazy how like the taboo nature of it. We, you know, we, yes, we may orgasm, but a lot of the time we don't even know like how. And it's just something that like happens by mistake. A hundred percent. Yeah. I feel like also like when we were young, it was really, really normal for like, boy- and even like into uni, it's really normal for boys to talk about like what pornography they watch, like you know, like, funny places that they've, like, had a wank and things like that. And then, like, girls just, like, don't really get the space to have that conversation. And if they do, it's kind of perceived as, like, a bit crude and, like, like not classy, um, which, like, really pisses me off. Yeah. No, that literally took the words out of our mouth. We listened back to the podcast, that to the episode, and we were like, God, do we really want to share this? Um and I'm, like, being yeah. very explicit. I'm, like, yeah. you know, talking about, you know, what I will do to make myself come, what I have found that worked for me. I don't know, because... No, I back that, though, because we need to start hearing it, because you don't, like, you don't hear it. Like, I used to think it was... And this is what my friend was saying when I was talking with her on the weekend. Like, it was, like, our biggest kept secret that, like, we used to do this in our teen years. And it just makes absolutely no sense, because, like, it's... Why is it, like, completely socially acceptable to have 
sex with a guy and like be expected to make them come otherwise you give them blue balls like whatever yeah. and then like it's not <laughs> it's not socially acceptable to like prioritize your own um like pleasure in that moment a hundred percent yeah afterwards Alyssa was like you know I don't want people to think all I'm about is sex but you know guys speak about it all the time and their intelligence is never questioned so yeah because we're too we're afraid that it then opens the floodgate of oh no but she's like she just you know that's all she knows that's all she's you know good at talking about is sex and orgasms and pleasure like you know no I'm studying a law degree and like running and you a shouldn't business. you shouldn't even have to say that like I you know. can you know yeah. talk about sex without having to say like I'm doing all these other things like yeah. it's okay for women to talk about it yeah so very happy that this conversation is going in that direction and we definitely want to like hit home with like a lot more questions like that but we wanted to start off by asking you was there a defining moment for you that made you realize okay this is something I need to speak up about yeah so there were a few key defining moments for me so the first one uh happened last year I was at a sleepover with like three other friends um and we were like all friends during high school but like not that close like in the same big social group and then um in like later life has obviously like come together closer a lot more um and yeah that night I actually have no idea how it came up like not for the life of me remember I keep trying to think about it but what ended up happening is we ended up talking about um like stories of sexual assault I think it actually probably started by telling like someone else's that we knew of and then one by one we started telling each other's um our own um and when I told my story I named my perpetrator and then my friend who was in the room who I was really close friends with when we were in like through high school um was like hold on like that wasn't you like that was our other like this other mutual friend we had um and I was like oh like I'm pretty sure I recall that like it was me um and she was like no I'm like 100% sure that like this happened to like this person and I was like well that means that happened to both of us um, and it basically, it happened to my friend, um, a year after it happened to me and I just like felt so sick. Like I was like shaking, like I was like, got all clammy. Like, I feel like it was kind of like the first time I'd experienced like serious, like, I guess almost like trigger symptoms, I guess, from like a situation involving sexual assault. Um, cause I feel like I've always kind of like suppressed it before that or just like not thought about it. Um, and yeah. And I just like could not sleep that night. Like I texted my brother who lives in London it was like really late in Sydney so he was awake and like told him for the first time like what had happened to me and he was like you know um like obviously like furious and like worried about me and stuff and I was just like the fact that happened to someone else like if I had known to report him um then it wouldn't have happened to her if I'd held him accountable anyway it happened to her and then I started thinking well also if I knew all that knowledge and he knew that he probably wouldn't have done it in the first place. And like, that's really the key here for the fact for it to never have even happened to me in the first place. Um, and then anyway, that's when like I started collecting my first testimonies. I just like sent around a message to my group chat. A few girls privately messaged me. Um, I like got testimonies of all the girls that were with me at the sleepover, things like that. Um, and then my plan was to kind of like make it my COVID plan to kind of like go to the schools with these testimonies with like 20 testimonies or something and be like, you need to do something. Um, and then I ended up getting into uni in London and was like, 
need to leave Sydney like so out of here. So like mid pandemic left Sydney, um, kind of left like the COVID project on the side. Um, and then I was with one of my best friends in London and we grew up in Sydney together and then they moved overseas and then we were kind of like reconnected in London again as well. Um, and anyway, they had like started going to therapy because like, you know, we were both like young adults dating and it's so interesting we're talking about the female sexuality thing because we were talking about how like so many like of our like preconceived ideas and like what relationships should be like and the way we were treated in high school now affects the way we date now and the kind of types of things that happen to us and like, um, like people we're attracted to and ways we handle situations like even in our lives now. And then anyway, we we're talking about that. Um, and something that happened to them, like encouraged me to encourage them to go to therapy basically. And then when they're in therapy, they started getting flashbacks to, um, to their, rape when um we were young which is a rape that I witnessed and stopped but didn't know it was a rape just you know knew my friend was unconscious um and anyway and then we were like super angry and then <laughs> the plan was um we were both kind of like like I was like crying and like we were like shaking we were just like furious because we were like here we are like 10 years later like crying about the situation and they don't even know they've done it to us and like that is so messed up um, and then, so originally I was going to post an Instagram story that tagged the three boys, um, which would have been a disaster and <laughs> taken the campaign in a really different way. Um, but then instead, um, my very rational flatmate was like, why don't you make it more broad? And then, um, I already had these testimonies collected from last year. <laughs> so I, um, yeah, so I, like, posted the poll asking if anyone else had been sexually assaulted by someone who went to a single sex school in Sydney, and then I started posting the testimonies, and then the response was just insane. Um, they just, like, flooded in, um, yeah, to a point where I couldn't physically, like, read them or post them fast enough. Um, and, yeah, so then uh, this uh, my friend called Jack um, and his friend Sophie contacted me being like, you need a website. And then they got it up for me in a few days. Um, and then, yeah, that's how teachersconsent.com started. Wow. It's, yeah, it's such an epic story because I feel like it just really hones in that 10 years has transpired between the friendship or whatever, but those stories still are like a key part of both of your identities. And mm. I feel like until we... Mm educate or raise awareness and ignite the conversation um it's it's not going to go anywhere like yeah. it's it's really important that it remains at the forefront mm. um how many testimonies do you have now um i don't know exactly but over 6500 um at this stage somewhere and yeah somewhere between 6500 6600 i think if i like had the ability to keep posting like they would have just kept coming, but it kind of got to a point where I had to, I found out what defamation was and realized that <laughs> I had to start like really checking these testimonies right. before they were posted and I had to like take a big step back. Um, uh, and, and then it also just like became too, like, it was just a lot. Um, so yeah, it's at 6,500, but I honestly think that there's, there'd be hundreds of thousands around Australia. Like I have yeah. no doubt. Definitely. Like 6,500 barely scraped the surface. The vast majority of those come from, like, you know, almost all of them are from Victoria and New South Wales, um, with the vast majority being New South Wales. So, like, the fact that the other states kind of, you know, there's still a whole... There's testimonies on there from every single state in Australia and territory, but the fact that 
the kind of like can of worms hasn't been opened in those states yet just shows that there's probably like thousands more right Mm. yeah that's crazy and personal question you definitely don't have to answer but i'm sure reading the testimonies um was probably so like impactful on you and did you have to like put measures in place to kind of protect yourself and like your own mental health Mm, yeah so i kind of like at first didn't really think about it um and like when they were coming in, I just like put everything aside and like that was just like all I did for like days was just like read and post them. Um, and I'm like a massive crier. Like I love crying. Mm, yeah. I cry all the time. So do I. And it got to like, <laughs> it got like quite a few days in and I was like, I've read all this stuff and haven't cried, which is like probably not so good. Um, but I just kind of kept going. And then like I started realizing it had like a serious effect on my like mental health and personal life. Um, and then I just kind of stopped reading them. Um for quite a while Mm. um and had like my friends help me and like a team of like um law students like help like read them um and I was like but I was like trying like the law students were slightly more um like on the ball with it but like with my friends and stuff like trying to explain what defamation was I kept getting in trouble (laughs) Um, so (laughs) so I handed it over to yeah handed it over to law students to help um but uh yeah and then I just like now I read all the ones that come in my inbox and like I always ask questions on Instagram and stuff like that and I do sometimes like go through especially because I'm writing my dissertation on this like I do sometimes go through and read them but it's not the whole like you sit there for like five hours and just read testimony after testimony with like no safe space um yeah and it's not as like overwhelming yeah because the overwhelming part it would just take a big toll on you I think like we always reflect on being 23 year olds like you know and you're trying to do so much and I think you'd have a lot um of pressure and not necessarily pressure but responsibility you feel like you have to do justice to these narratives and bring them to light mm. um like that's that's a lot to take on mm. um how does that sit with you is that something you're like hell yeah like that's that's what I'm born to do (laughs) yeah (laughs) I don't know I mean like at the time it was like extra extra pressure because it was also very much like well one I was living in London so I knew that everyone in Sydney was awake when I was like meant to be sleeping so I didn't sleep virtually and then like I was like I know that there are like 25,000 people watching a story every time I post it so like I need to keep posting these stories because it's getting the message out so much like this is the very beginning I was like I need to just keep posting like the stories and then, um, whereas, like, now it's a lot more chill because it's kind of like if I post testimonies, it's in my own time, it's because I've chosen to. Like, it's not like people are, like, um, you know, sitting there waiting for their testimony to, like, show up for, like, closure, closure or, like, you know, doing it to, like, kind of, I don't know. I feel like it is lots of pressure. And then, like, obviously I've messed up a few times. I've posted, like, things I shouldn't have posted, like, names of people. Um, I've let, like, identifying things slip through and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think overall it's like nice. Someone messaged me yesterday being like, it was such a nice message. They were like, I love when you do this because it's like anonymous and it's like so like hard to like write this stuff into words, but then you just see like hundreds of responses the same and you feel like you kind of have like a community behind you. And like, I feel like that's really nice. It's just kind of like giving that platform and like giving everyone a nominee. It's really nice having people trust me. Like, oh my God, the gossip I know. Oh my God. I was, I was going to say that we I saw your stories today um and for those of you who don't know but you brought light onto Christian Porter being promoted and that prompted you to ask your Instagram followers like what are your rapists doing 
currently and where are they in their life and to see those responses is so shocking i saw that you were posting like i can't post the name because of defamation um but yeah it's insane to think about how many people um and how many of these perpetrators are like walking around just living their life being promoted getting good jobs and yet you know as victims we have to live with, yeah, that trauma. And that was actually, like, the final breaking point in terms of my mental health, um, actually, was, like, um, I, I just got told of, like, another one of my, like, close friends who had sexually assaulted someone, and I was just like, fuck. Like, I was just like, I can't, like, hear these anymore. Like, I can't. Um, and, you know, the, like, responsibility that comes with the fact that I've applied, like, you know, allowed for this anonymous platform to exist means that I can't start treating someone differently when I return to Sydney because it's going to be quite obvious why I'm suddenly angry at someone I've been friends with for years. Um, (laughs) And, like, I spoke to the guy. I was like, can I please, please, please confront this person because, like, I'm really going to struggle to kind of, like, go through life without doing so. And she was just like, you can't. And I was like, of course I'm going to respect your wishes, but, like, fuck, that was hard. Like, it was just like, how do I now just, like, put that at the back of my mind? Um... So, yeah, it's hard. But, I mean, and, and I was also just, like, I had to be, like, why am I surprised? My whole point is that we're all friends with rapists. My whole point is they're socially acceptable. My whole point is that they are nice guys. They are people that you want to be friends with. Um, so, like, why is it surprising that, um, like, my friends have, like, sexually assaulted someone when so has, like, everyone's friends? Yeah. I guess something as well, like, connected to all of this is what your family perceives of you, of you disclosing, like these stories and taking on this responsibility like I think in a different way for us like we're always I'm very hyper aware of what my family are thinking of me when I'm talking about coming and sexual experiences and I feel in a very similar vein like you talking about your own personal experience with sexual assault or people around you and within like your own network how did your family respond to that um so I have a really open relationship with my brothers, which is nice. Um, uh, one of them I had told before, like, that first night when I, like, found out. And as I said, the only reason for that was because he was awake and no one else was because I wasn't sleeping. Um, then the other brother, I think, found out through the, like, like through the newspaper pretty much. Um, uh, or I probably, I, I assume I must have, like, told him before I actually, I don't remember that whole, like, time period it was an absolute blur. But, I mean, like, yeah, it was pretty insane. It was, like, all this started happening. Um, I had posted on my story, like, my own testimony in anonymous, anonymous, is that how I say that word? Like, made it anonymous um, form, but obviously no one knew it was my story because, like, the whole point is that it's anonymous. Um, but then, like, when the... Sydney Morning Herald um like called me and was like interviewed me blah 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 and then I was like so like is this gonna run the paper like should I bother like telling my parents like I don't want to like you know get them excited if it's not gonna run or something and then they're like no no like it's gonna be like front page tomorrow and I was like what (laughs) um and then I had to like call both my parents like instantly and just be like hey I'm (laughs) about to do an interview (laughs) um just letting you know like this happened to me when I was 13 and they were just like so confused um it was probably like definitely not a great way to um speak to them about it but I mean like it happened and like um they were um 
my dad was like really really confused he was so cute he like called my best friend in sydney and was like sarah i'm really confused like what's going on (laughs) chanel um but he like doesn't have instagram or social media or anything so i feel like i speak like quite openly about things and like he definitely would never know how to like access this podcast (laughs) (laughs) so like i can talk about things like female sexuality and like orgasming without like cringing um (laughs) so i guess that's good and like yeah i feel like i have very like open relationships with my brothers anyway where i have these conversations with them um, Mm, quite often so i guess it's not um yeah i guess i just don't think about it because if i think about it then i don't want to do it (laughs) yeah no and it's i think it's really interesting because i have three brothers as well and i've got a dad and um i i've had some experiences with sexual assault as well And it is like they've obviously been so supportive and I'm so grateful that I've had them to confide in. But it is interesting when it comes like the shock of it for like family Mm. members to hear because, you know, they exist within society and especially being boys, you know, they all identify as males. Um, You know, they were brought up in this culture where like their friends the the language that they use and the way they you know treated girls throughout high school they they were seeing that and especially for our dads Mm. the dad generation like I think was a lot worse then um and so it it is a interesting thing to think like you know a lot of the time it comes as a shock but at the same time is it that surprising yeah Mm. yeah I guess that's the thing it's when like you know you always hear like boys give that like kind of semi-empathetic speech where they're like imagine it was your sister or your mom and it's like well yeah it doesn't matter if it is anyone but like when it is your sister or your mom and like hits home a lot closer and also I think that um it's quite funny like the perception like the reaction from my brothers was both like who is he why like let's go report him right can I kill him like I want to beat him up (laughs) like um, like, all these things that's just kind of like um you know in the moment like it's good to like have someone like you know instantly believe you and be really angry and stuff like that but it's just like this is insanely counterproductive because uh, you don't understand how hard it is to report as like a young girl um especially like a historical rape case um and yeah like they um it is interesting the things kind of like why don't we can't like let's go get angry at him (laughs) like it's not how it works (laughs) My brother's like 10 years older than me, so they're very protective of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my dad even, when I think it must have been a few years ago, um, Melbourne, there was the Jill Ma incident. She was murdered in Brunswick. I don't know. There was just – Melbourne felt like it was on high alert. There were quite mm. a lot of instances that were happening. And my dad, I remember I was walking to the city, and he was like, no, you're not walking, you're not taking public transport, like – stopped me like put me in the car and was like I'm dropping you where you need to go and on one hand it's like I'm so grateful you know that he feels like he needs to protect me like Mm. I guess but that's not the issue and I think Mm. often we I don't know society has a really warped way of dealing with these things because it's actually not about locking me up protecting me in that capacity driving me to my destination it's about Mm. educating the men in our society or people who identify as males to actually <laughs> not rape. Yeah, 100%. I feel like society's not really ready to want to, like, come up with a solution because if it wasn't for you and, like, the work that you're doing, um, it would just continue to exist this way. And, you know, we would continue to be told you're not walking alone instead of being like, well, wait a minute, like you should be able to walk. 
to your destination Mm. alone. Let's figure out a way to radically change the way like men are told that they can treat women. I agree. That's so hard as well, though, because it's like we need to change that. But also in the short term, like, you know, when there is that like high tent situation in Melbourne, like where there's people being, you know, um, like raped and murdered um, more frequently than usual. It's like, well, obviously, like, you don't want to be walking on the street alone. So it's like, obviously, I'm going to take the lift from my dad. And obviously, like, exactly. that's a good idea from him. But yeah. it's also like, we need to, we need to just shift the discourse. So then when we're doing things like that, when we're taking protective measures, we say, yeah. I'm going to drive you, you can't walk alone, because there are like, bad men out there doing bad things. And like, we just need to start shifting the discourse in the meantime, while we st- like in the short term, where we still need to like, kind of take these protective measures. Because otherwise, we do just leave like, um, like girls and women too vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question. So even speaking now to be completely transparent, I feel weird making generalizations like, um, you know, instead we should teach men to not treat women like that. And I think because of mm. like what we're taught, I, I doubt myself in that. Cause I'm like, but wait, is it all men? Like, you know, am I making a sweeping generalization that like men shouldn't treat women this way? But, like, statistics clearly (laughs) show that it is, like, completely warped Mm. and one-sided. Do you get that? Do you ever feel that way when you're talking about this issue? Mm, No, No. because um, I don't think there's, like, a single... I don't think there's a single person on this earth who their whole life hasn't, like, in some way perpetrated rape culture. I think that, um, like... I think that girls also have a lot of unlearning to do and like people as a whole uphold this culture, like especially like, you know, mothers and stuff like that, um, you know, who have grown up kids with kind of like their like personal bias of how life should be based on different times. Um, But no, I think that it is all men because I think that it is everyone. Um, And also in terms of statistics as well, like we're really fucking beating around the bush and there is like, you know, a fundamental part, like a fundamental aspect of like a gender stereotype of the way we socialize boys and bring them up because mm. they're not, they're not good at rejection. They're not good at um, like learning, um, like criticism and stuff like that. Girls are because we're constantly criticized. We're constantly brought up to be empathetic. And, you know, this is a stereotype, but it is the stereotype that the vast majority of people are born into. And it's what has socialized us. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, when you look at just hardcore stats, it's like, in Australia, I actually found this the other day, I didn't know this until, um, like, a month or two ago. In Australia, so 97% of um, rapes are perpetrated by men, and then the 3% of rapes that are perpetrated by women um, are... 50% of those are with another man as well. Um, wow. Which means that they think in almost all... Of, like, in 50%, it's then, like, coerced. Like, the woman is being coerced herself in that situation to... Um, you know, like, help their partner rape someone or, like, they're in a domestic abuse, abusive relationship and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, like, when we're just looking at, like, numbers like that, I'm like, we do a lot of beating around the bush to not target this issue towards men and to not target the conversation towards Mm -hmm. men because the same attributes that make it so that men find it so hard to take on criticism are the same attributes that make it so um, they are more likely to rape people. Completely. I think that the stance you've adopted throughout, like, the consent, campaign and what you just spoke to is like where we need to head it's like if people are okay to make sweeping generalizations about women even when it comes to sexuality or whatever like why Mm. can't we do the same not that it should be like a you know they do it so we're gonna do it but you know Mm. I just think it it is 
playing into our society is constructed on power imbalances. So mm. rather than just blatantly acknowledge them, acknowledging them as the status quo, let's fucking do something about it to change yeah. that reality. Um, which I guess gets me thinking whether you can pinpoint, you know, the first time you had to come into contact with those power imbalances or whether we name it as like toxic masculinity. So also just to clarify like what I was saying about boys, like I do think everyone needs to reassess their behavior. Mm. Every single person. I just think that it's kind of productive to not acknowledge that this is a man perpetrated issue. Mm. Um, But like, I do also think that it's like, it's not the individual man's fault. It's the structural society that they live in. Yeah. But it's their individual responsibility to be aware of their structural conditions to understand how um, they kind of perpetrate this in a like more powerful way than um, women and girls, even though we also uphold rape culture. Anyway, sorry, just side note. But um, first, I mean, in terms of like, like I, I think that like literally from like first second of consciousness, these norms are explained to us. You know, you're given a doll when you're two years old. You're like... In my family, I always set the table. My brothers never set the table or cleared the table. That was just, like, a thing. It was just, like, Chanel, come down. And I didn't know, like, I was 10 years younger, so I don't know if that was why, but, like, I was also the only girl, like, I don't know, it seems fishy to me. (laughs) (laughs) It's, like, I, um, you know, I remember being told to cross my legs and sit like a lady. I remember to be, like, being told to change my clothes because, like, some older male relative was coming over. Um, All of these things, like, before the age of, you know, like five like whenever I have consciousness um I mean I remember like feeling like I used to live like right next to my primary school like literally like 30 meters away and like I don't remember like the like fear ingrained in me from such a young age from my parents in terms of like being kidnapped or like you know being like something bad happening to me like I used I don't think I remember like walking that path feeling like safe and innocent and vulnerable the whole time because I think that, like, rape culture is so ingrained in us and girls are just completely socialised from day one yeah. to um, to be vulnerable to it. Yeah. It's so true. And, like, the scariest part for me when I reflect, there was – I was probably 14 um, and I went to one of my friends' house and there was, like, a group of boys and a group of girls and we were all just swimming. And um, I think I, like, you know, wanted to – I wanted to like fit in and impress some of the people there. Um, and we were swimming and some of the boys were play- started playing this like game. I'm literally like quote game <laughs> um, where mm. they were like trying to untie my bikini bottom. And I at the mm. time thought like, oh, they're flirting with me. Like, do they like <laughs> me? Um, not And like, I, I remember feeling very uncomfortable as well because I was like, 14 I don't even think I started like waxing or shaving yet and I was like remember Mm. thinking oh my god like what if they see my pubic hairs and like I got really embarrassed but I shrugged it off because I was like they're flirting with me um Mm. which is just like not violating my like you don't even see it as a violation no that's how ingrained it is it's like no it's they're flirting they're flirtatious yeah exactly 100% and it is because of little things like when you like complain to an older parent like a like I don't know a guardian or a parent whatever being like oh I got like catcalled and they're like oh I wish I still got catcalled like when you're an old when you're an old hag like me you wish you had that so no like actually it's not I know that you're like being completely innocent and saying that and you have no idea of the implications that holds but that means that when you're 14 and you're in a swimming pool and boys are trying to untake like take off your clothes you think it's normal because you think it's a compliment because you think that like violation and sexualization and object objectification is 
yeah like what love and affection looks like mm-hmm. I you actually just triggered a memory in me that I like completely forgot so clearly I remember I was like how old was I I was in year seven and like went to like one of my like first parties and we were like in in like this like pool this like big massive house and like everyone was like getting with each other in the pool and then the boys would come out behind like the girls like when they were getting with each other and undo the bikini tops while the girls were like getting with like the boys is so oh bad i remember that so clearly yeah i feel like the standout thing as well for mm-hmm. me in both of your stories like the fact that flirtation then mm. is associated with like a form of violation sometimes mm. yeah. like that's so bizarre. often like we went through a really weird thing in my school year like in year six our teacher had to like sit our cohort down and tell the guys off because they were going around not there were just like a few people going around in the hallways like hitting girls asses or like just there were weird yeah. cultural things that happened yeah. in our year but like I would think oh my god he's like he's flirting with me not like yeah oh this is like mm. assault <laughs> A lot of the time I feel that that's also justified because, you know, boys are so horny when they're young. Like, you know, when boys are going testosterone, like when they hit puberty, which is like another justification for those actions. A hundred percent. It's like, can we like start giving some boys some more credit? Like they're not just like crazy animals. Like are they not insulted by this discourse? Like they have complete control over their like emotions and reactions and things like that as well. But also another thing is this narrative. And like, I know for sure I got when I was young. Um, you know, a boy's been mean to me at school. Oh, honey, he's got a crush on you. Don't worry. Like, yeah, that just sets us up Mm -hmm. for abusive relationships. That just sets us up for a guy slapping our ass three years later and us thinking, oh, that means he likes me. And that's a good thing. It sets us up for an abusive husband who gets really angry and then love bombs you. And you think, oh, this is love. Like, Mm -hmm. there's so many things that like we can break in really early years, but it takes a lot of unlearning and like a reassessing kind of like personal bias from the people growing them up. It's so true. Like a lot of our guy friends reflect and they're like, oh my God, like why did we act that way? And they like, it's it's so upsetting that it's so ingrained in them from such a young age and that's what they're taught. Like, you know, it's mm. not inherent to them. Um, it's so cultural and like, structural, yeah. yeah, structural and like that's just how they're, they're brought up. Um, and so that's why like this campaign in schools is like the most important place where this should be happening because it's like that's where they're learning it is and also like the injustice that education systems done to us it's not just as survivors it's also as you know the perpetrators like you know there's obviously a difference between someone who sexually assaults someone when they're like 23 and when they're 14 but like if you're a 14 year old boy and like you don't know any better your only form of sex ed has been pornography. Yeah. All your friends have done this thing and you believe it's normal. Like, it is an injustice mm-hmm. on the, like, them, for them to then commit sexual assault without ever knowing that that's what they're doing or that it's wrong. Yeah. And, I mean, there's also, like, you know, there's a shitload of boys who didn't commit sexual assault not being told what these things were. Yeah. But, I mean, like, you know, peer pressure is a strong force, especially in adolescence. And, like, it's, like, we can't, like it's just this like weird it needs to be about like reform and acknowledging it's bad and not doing it again because like it happened it happened on an insane scale um it happened in like someone's youth to an extent where and it's so hard because it's like you're young enough that for the perpetrator it's really hard to hold them fully accountable for that in their adult life especially if they can like reflect and say that was really bad 
But then also for the victim, you know, who's usually a girl, it's like, for that to happen to you when you're 13, 14, 15, 16, that would like really, 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 really fuck you up. That will stick with Mm you. Yeah. So it's just so hard because it's such an insanely valid sexual assault experience, but it is so hard to think of them as full criminals when it's, they're just literally merely a product of their society and they're just doing what everyone else did without any kind of like mindfulness or understanding. Mm. I guess to, to wrap things up, we wanted to ask where to from now, what's the, the plan with the, the campaign? Um, anything that, yeah, you want to specifically share with our audience? Uh, I guess next step is, so we've made consent education mandatory in Victoria and Queensland from the age of 10, which is like pretty freaking cool seeing as like, yeah, we like basically young girls did that over Instagram and then like politicians are now listening. Incredible. Um, but the next like step is make it mandatory in the Australian curriculum because then we don't need to go state by state, like ter- ter- like uh, state and territory by state and territory. We can just do um, all of Australia at once. And then the plan, I guess, from there would be like once that's in the Australian curriculum to then encourage states and territories to really like amplify that and um, go above and beyond um, what the bare minimum is. Um, and another big thing is... Uh, in initial teacher education curriculum, which is basically like the curriculum that is required to like do any sort of like teaching degree or anything in Australia, um, have it in there, like, you know, personal biases, like reassessment and like, um, how to promote healthy cultures and stuff like that as part of like being trained to be a teacher so that our teachers can become transformative actors, um, as we kind of like stay out of this culture. Um, and I hope that that comes with like a more general respect for teachers and now, um, society because like I just truly believe that education is like can be the largest catalyst for like cultural change and societal change and like we can see all the high-income countries that highly value their teachers have like insanely great um, outputs in terms of like development um, and I just like it just makes no sense to me why like Australia has all the resources to do so I just don't know why we're not allocating them towards it mm, um, so yeah those are kind of like next steps in terms of um, campaign and then like to be honest um, like when the Australian curriculum has changed, whenever that may be, like, obviously I'll keep going till then. I would like really love to just like take a step back for a bit and be like, I'm just going to like chill out. Oh, um, and that. then, yeah. And then, yeah, I'm really keen to like pursue something in like the gender equality field um, more broadly going forward. Amazing. Wow. So inspiring. Yeah. yeah I oh. honestly, no, I just think it's, you've really made like, a really big impact and I think like there's so many people that are watching what you're doing and obviously that's a lot of pressure but like just know that it has meaning and it's been felt by like you know us and so many people um so thank you um for doing the work you're doing and hopefully if Australia gets its shit together like you can enjoy being just like 23 24 25 whenever it may yeah, be that'd be nice and just chill <laughs> and yeah change maker <laughs> oh thank you so much guys thank you for having me on the show it's so nice of course to be your first guest yeah we're so excited so thank you so much <laughs>
Thank you so much, guys, for tuning into this week's episode. It was definitely one of our favorite conversations yet. And be sure to check us a follow on Instagram, share with us your thoughts, screenshot you listening to the podcast episode, and then be sure to tag us at Peach Pack. And also head over to Teach Us Consent um, on Instagram. Chuck them a follow. They're doing pretty incredible work. Over and out. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.